Learn how to build a better sign and print shop from a few crusty sign guys who've made more mistakes than they care to admit. Conversations and advice on pricing, sales, marketing, workflow, growth, and more. You're listening to the Better Sign Shop Podcast with your hosts, Peter Kurunis, Michael Riley, and Bryant Gillespie. All right, guys, welcome to the next edition of the Better Sign Shop Podcast. I've got Peter Karunas with me and Mike Riley, still searching for his nickname. What's new with you guys? I'm on vacation. I'm enjoying a couple of days off. It's been a wonderful week so far. I got two more days before I got to get back into the grind, but being able to take some time away from the sign shop and from all the other things I've done is a blessing and I've been enjoying it very much. I even got a nice tan going. It's nice. Where are you, Peter? I am doing a staycation. I did not leave my house. I did not leave my house. I had some plans to travel. COVID derailed those plans a little bit, but it's been nice. I got to take my son for his first haircut today. I got to take him out for pizza and ice cream. The other day, we went be doing some pool days and we went to the beach yesterday. So it's nice. I'm not, I think I want to do some staycations a little bit more often. It's been really nice and doesn't really cost nearly as much as going on a vacation. But yeah, I, I've got to couple, I got to meet a couple of the local business owners, some shopping for a car. Yeah, it's been nice. Not having to worry awesome. about work. I can't. Uh, yeah. I don't think the shopping for a car thing is. You, I think you're lying there, man. You're not being. Tr no, I just went on a major Twitter rant earlier this morning against Tesla, and I'm a huge Tesla fan. I have a Tesla Model Three, and man, they really got you because I'm not allowed to buy out the lease. I'm not allowed to make the money off the car. It's their car. I've just been like renting the car for three years from Tesla. And now that my lease is over, I'm like, yeah, what are you going to do to keep me as a customer with Tesla? And they basically said, you got to give us like five or $6,000 to get you into another lease and uh, you'll pay all the fees and all the stuff to transfer you into this lease. And I'm like, all right, I'm going back to Jeep. See you later. So now I'm looking at that electric Jeep Wrangler four by E. But yeah, so I don't know. I enjoy uh, shopping for cars said nobody ever <laughs> it's the worst experience ever what about you i'm sure you guys aren't on vacation so how's your week been go ahead uh, my week's been a nightmare it's signed burrito wild wild week I, my my wife and i had tickets to a, a concert on the other side of the state and we totally didn't realize that it was on a tuesday night until tuesday morning hey was so that that we, 90s was, concert yeah, that's where we were. Yeah, it was awesome. It was a reset and, and garbage. Oh, it was nice. amazing. It was so good. Yeah, it was an amazing concert. It was actually, I'm a concert junkie. Like, I go to concerts all the time. I mean, I've been to hundreds of concerts in my life. And, and Alanis Morrison, this is the second time I've seen her. And it's, she stands like where she rises above everybody else I've ever seen. It's an amazing performance. I'm not even like a huge fan of her music, but just it's crazy. And this was the, the rowdiest crowd I've ever seen at a concert, too, which is saying something. Like, there were so many drunk women reliving their 90s youth i felt really intimidated i was a little out of place but yeah it was a lot of fun it was great but it was just it was stressful because we were like oh shit we <laughs> middle of the day like we have to drive four or five hours to get to this concert on a tuesday night so we get a little 
poor planning on our part. So what would you, been in chaos, what would so. you say was Alanis Morissette's like biggest nineties hit? And Oh, uh, you ought to know. That's you, her biggest song know. by far. You ought to know. Yeah. I've always been a hand in my pocket kind of fan. I love that song. Mm, whatever, yeah. For whatever reason, that's been my favorite. But at your concert, which one was like where the crowd erupted? The one that they enjoyed the most? Was it You Ought to Know? It, you Ought to Know. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely. And actually, Brian, I forgot. I got a video of that for your wife because you said oh, she's yeah. broad. Or, yeah, so. no, definitely. My wife would be I mean, the one. Like, she would be in the middle of that. like tearing off the bra and throwing it on stage. Like, what? She's, that's how it was. She's like, an Elena Morissette fan, man. <laughs> yeah, it was a really... Very energetic, wild show. It was a good time. I recommend to anybody listening, even if you can't stand Alanis Morissette, it's just, it's an incredible performance. It's something to see. It's worth going to. I, that, I don't know how she can sing the way she does. Like it's, she's got a voice that's wild. And, so good times. Good, good. What about you, Bryant? What are you up to? It's same old, same old, man. Just try to keep up with these three girls. So we had the babysitter out last week. So we had the girls at home all week. Absolutely drove my wife and I crazy and uh, I still just trying to catch up on work from that. So been heads down this week. Other than that, not much has changed. You need a vacation. A staycation. Listening to Peter talk. <laughs> I'm going to go shop for cars. I've got some of my <laughs> old friends from high school that do that. So that could be like a reunion session while they try to it reach in my pockets <laughs> Isn't it sad this is what COVID has reduced us to? Like now, instead of looking forward to going to Hawaii or something, we're like, yes, I'm going to stay home for a week and shop for a car. Like this, this is my vacation. That's where we're at as a society. What's happened to us? It's sad. Hey. I think that's an age and age thing, kids thing, <laughs> maybe, man. Maybe that's what it is. <laughs> maybe we've just grown up. When you have a, when you have three girls and the youngest is a total demon seed, she's supposed to be the chill one. <laughs> But she is a total demon, man. Like she gets in her feelings and then she will hit you, kick you and totally tear your house down. She's like the big bad wolf in a like two foot high package. That's my youngest. So the idea of going on vacation is just like Or taking her you. even to a restaurant is an adventure. <laughs> <laughs> I, I took the kids to CVS to pick up some medication the other day and everybody in CVS was just looking at me and laughing. And some of them were also like, what the fuck, man? <laughs> like, why is your kid running all the aisles? This was at 7.30. Their bedtime is 7.30 or 8. So she ran the aisles in CVS pharmacy, made me chase her. Was, at one point, I actually asked the cashier if that was the only exit. I was like, hey, is that the only exit? Because she was just all over the place. <laughs> so yeah, that's, yeah. that's what I'm dealing with. That's unfortunate. It's never dull. We'll say that. I'm glad I don't have kids. Yeah. No, it's nice when you can give them back. I say all these things, but I love my kids for anybody listening. Just. So, you know, he does. I've witnessed it. He's a great father, despite the don't call CPS. drugstore chasing. <laughs> Just ignore what they have to say. Yeah. All right. Let's get into the topic today, guys. What I feel like maybe Peter or Mike, you guys should bring the topic today. I'm the guy that's always doing the topic. You guys introduce this. 
Yeah. So this week, instead of picking on one topic, we're going to actually just answer a few questions that we've received from our listeners. So we appreciate you guys sending questions in. And if anybody listening has any other questions, hit us up, let us know. And we're going to try and do a few more of these kind of listener Q&A podcast episodes. So instead of, like I said, picking on just one topic, we'll try and cover three or four and answer some questions. Give him the email address. He doesn't know. It's, I, I don't know what it, it is. If you have it's, questions that you would like us to answer on the air, or I guess this is recorded, on the podcast, if you want us to answer your questions, hit us up. Hey, H-E-Y. Had to think about that for a minute. Hey at bettersignshop.com. Super simple. Send us your questions. We'll answer them. I'm going to write that down so I don't forget it. That would be a really cool idea if we, if in the platform that we're building, if we can make like a cute, like a submit your question for the podcast little form. Yeah. That'd be pretty neat. Yeah. Yeah. Little plug for the platform there as well. Hey. That'd be cool. Good idea. All right. Peter, take it away. What's our first question? All right. All right. So we got our first question here. I'm going to read this out here. I would love to hear an episode that addresses minimum orders and how to handle the walk-ins requesting $50 for lettering and or sign jobs. Also, how minimums might apply to large accounts that frequently request small orders of two to three small PBC signs in between larger orders, for example. So there's a couple of questions there mixed in between one major question, and that's about minimum orders. So how do we handle minimum orders for walk-in customers that are requesting $50 jobs? I have a lot, I have a lot I could say about this, but I'll let you guys, (laughs) I'll let you guys go first. Brian, why don't you, why don't you. Let's go with Mayor McCheese. All right. Just trying that on. Do you like that one? I was sad, but I couldn't get that costume though, really. One will pop up on the, it's, it's almost Halloween. One of those Halloween stores that show up in a closed down retail store will definitely have a Mayor McCheese outfit when it does. I will be wearing it. I think he's the forgotten I love McDonald's character. He was the best too. All right. <laughs> okay. So Mike, let's come back to you. Let's start with you here. For those walk-in customers, for those shop owners that get a lot of walk-in customers that are requesting $50 sign jobs, lettering job, boat lettering, car lettering, whatever it is. How do you handle that? Let's just take it one step at a time. How do you go about addressing those customers right now when it comes to minimum orders? I think first and foremost, you need to decide what kind of customer you want to service and what type of work that you want to do and then set your minimum order accordingly. So if you don't really want to do boat numbers and boat names and those little sticker jobs for the random guy walking in up the street, then set your minimum order something that they just can't afford. So they're just going to naturally go someplace else. I've talked about this before too, but I also like to have some place that I can refer those people to. So I'm not just sending them out on the street saying, Hey, I can't do this, but XYZ sign shop down the street. I won't say the name can handle this little job for you. I think is, is a, is an mm-hmm. important thing to have. If you're getting a lot of people walking in the door for those types of orders and you just don't want to do them, just raise your minimum order and say, we don't do the type of work. It's, there's nothing wrong with saying, I'm sorry, we don't work for individuals. We only work for businesses or we don't do race car and boat graphics or whatever. So I think stepping back from 
the immediate question and just determining the market and that you want to serve and the type of work that you want to do has to drive that decision. And like I said, then set your minimum order accordingly. It, it's, it is a slippery slope because, you know, the question clearly says, like, how do you apply minimum orders to larger accounts? And that's tough because say you're working for a commercial realtor and normally they're doing big four by eight site signs or bigger ones and they're thousand dollar plus tickets every time. But then every once in a while they're going to have, Hey, we need to change a single digit on one of these signs. or I just need a cover up decal to change a phone number on one of these signs that would always fall under your minimum. You can't really get away with saying to your biggest customer, sorry, I got to charge you my $150 minimum for that job. That should be $15 or whatever. So I think you, you have to recognize where you have to make exceptions to that as well and be willing to accommodate clients, small requests in pursuit of the bigger picture there, which is keeping them happy and keeping them buying those thousand dollar jobs from you as well. But it is a slippery slope and it's really easy to fall off track with that and let customers walk all over you too. So part of it's just, you got to have a spine (laughs) and stand up to people and say no, but you got to know when to do that. I think this problem comes like the root of this is when you first start out, those are the type of jobs that you cut your teeth on, especially if you started your own shop. Like those jobs are like the average small, tiny vinyl job. You do a lot of those. And when it's just you in a garage or a small retail space, those are, those are still profitable. Certainly. But as you grow, obviously those are not profitable and you have to figure out the way out of it. So I think you've given some good tactics there as far as have somebody to refer those people to just actually have fine and say, no, Hey, we're not going to do this type of work. I'm going to say something from our friend, Dylan Martin, the sales manager at security signs that we had on our, one of our recent AMAs within the Facebook group is qualify, qualify. So when that person comes in, you'll qualify them it take them through the process and Very quickly, if it's just an individual, you should be able to qualify them out. But if it is, let's say it's just somebody who's the, could be like a vice president of some corporation, but maybe he does want boat letters. Have a conversation with that person, suss that out and figure out if that warrants doing that particular job. I really like what you said about having a guideline instead of a hard and fast rule. You got to have some flexibility there because certainly those large clients do come in or call in and need just like a tiny job. So you got to have a firm grasp of your customer base and understand who your best clients are and make sure you educate your team on that as well. If I've got a person at the front counter who doesn't know that John's electrical service is one of our best customers then that's a problem because they're going to treat them the same way that they would any random person that walks in off the street. One of the other ways that I really like to handle walk-ins is just lock the doors and go appointment only. I've talked to a lot of shops that were forced to go appointment only because of COVID and it worked out better for them. So they just stuck with that. So I really like that approach as well. Peter, you've got a book on this one. I do. It's coming out six weeks from now. No, I don't have a book on this, but I have a lot to say about this and I'm just going to cut right to it. I'm going to give you the short and sweet. You shouldn't be selling anything in your shop nowadays for $50. If you are a shop that's selling this for $50, I question the level of expertise that you have in your, as a business owner, you want to make a quick 50 bucks, but I don't, I'm begged to question how much profit you're actually making off of that uh, to interrupt your operations, to interrupt what you're doing. 
to handle a walk-in customer that comes into your shop to buy something for $50 is how much time are you preparing to put that order together? The end, how much time are you putting together to do the estimate, to do the order, to take the money? I understand that you don't want to say no to a customer that walked in the door, but that's why shops across the country, shops in our mastermind, shops in our Facebook group, they've all raised their prices. So you have to, and they've raised their prices for a reason. Inflation, gas is damn near still $5 a gallon. There's no way you're making money on $50 anymore. Even if it's a quick throw black vinyl into your plotter, cut some letters out, weed them, mask them. But I bet you, you made like five bucks on that job. Yeah, I get it. The shop owner right now is like, oh, a square foot of black vinyl is like pennies per square foot. It costs me pennies. But on the surface, you still have an overhead expenses. You have your shop rate. You have labor, insurance, all these other things that are going to go into each and every order that you have to take into account. So uh, walk-in customers that want something for $50, they get shown the door. I think that's the quickest and easiest way I could say that. They get shown the door. They walk in, they walk out. I'll put a giant sign in my lobby that says $200, $200 minimum order. Now, I have talked to some shop owners that don't believe in putting a minimum order that high, that they would normally sell a job for $50. But if it is $50, and let's just, for argument's sake, say it's some DOT numbers for a truck, they would immediately double their price. So if I normally charge 50, I would charge them 100. And I've been okay with that strategy from a few different perspectives, but then I wonder, for those shop owners that are saying $100 isn't worth their time. I guess that depends on the size of your shop. If you have 30 people working under your guidance there, $100 doesn't push the needle. If you're a two or three man shop and you can take that $100 and then go buy lunch for your team, all right, you can, and you have some time available, then maybe your plotter's not running. I can see that working for different size shops but you have to double your normal price. And in my shop for DOT letters, I didn't sell it for less than 150 bucks. Now one color cut vinyl, 150 bucks. I would interrupt my operations for that. Um, but now I've raised that price as well. So for smaller shops, you could certainly do that strategy as well if you didn't want to put in a minimum order amount. Now, the second question here from the same person is, how does this apply with larger accounts that frequently request two to three orders in a short frequency? I think this is the this wrench. Is the more this is the wrench in that equation there, Mike. So let's kind of circle back to you first. We talked about minimums, and I stand that fifty dollars is not something. But if you have a an account, first of all, I question how. My, in my opinion, how large of an account are they if they are buying $50 items from you? I wouldn't consider that a large account, but I'd like to hear from you guys first what you would do here if they're ordering in more frequency. Do, are you a little bit more lenient on those minimums? Before I answer that, I want to back up and also talk about the idea of a minimum, a quote unquote minimum order, just from more like an abstract level. I don't really like the, using the term minimum order. And if a client says, hey, I need this, and you say, okay, well, that's under our minimum, so I've got to charge you this, $200 or whatever it is, that immediately puts kind of a negative feeling in that customer's mind. I'm not big enough for them, or 
they're going to charge me a lot more than this really should be just because they feel like it's too big of a convenience. Like there's some negative feelings that are going to be attached to that from the customer's standpoint. So I'm on the fence on how I feel about even saying, hey, we have this minimum charge and it's this and putting that out there and hanging up a sign that says our minimum order is X dollars and telling customers, hey, you're under our minimum. It just makes them feel small and insignificant. And really, if you really want to get down to it, the I, you don't need a minimum if you're pricing things correctly anyway, because no matter what the size of that job is, even if it's really small, if you're really pricing it the way you should be pricing it and doing your math and making sure you're covering your overhead and like you said, Peter, the time to sit there and talk to the customer and design it and write up the invoice and collect the check and take the check to the bank, there's time in that. And if you're doing estimating and pricing correctly, you're accounting for all that. And just by by accounting for all that, by default, you're charging what your minimum should be for that job anyway. You just got to think about it a little bit and do the math correctly. And I, so I think it, I think a lot of shops could benefit from taking that approach by just saying, instead of you're under a minimum, so I'm going to charge 200 bucks, but just saying this job costs this much, period. I don't, you don't really, there's not really a need to explain why it costs that much or whether it's under minimum or anything like that. Just tell them this is what it's going to cost you. I think there's a little psychological warfare there with this that I think you can overcome by just charging what you got to charge for it, regardless of what the job is. And that, which is going to make your minimum fluctuate depending on what the job is. If it's a, it's a vinyl decal or something like that, it's probably going to be less of a minimum than a real estate sign or something. But I think you can go a long way towards making the customer feel better about using you if you if you don't immediately step onto this negative you're under our minimum because your job is so insignificant kind of stance mayor mccheese with the the killer answer <laughs> i like that a lot man it's not something that i did in my shop and you know I, having sold my shop and look back i think like it's kind of shitty of me in a way to like you know, tell customers like, nah, you're just not important. So I got to charge you an arm and a leg to make time for you. That's kind of how it comes across. And I've really started thinking about that now that I've dealt with other businesses and companies a lot more. And I've been the customer being told that it doesn't really feel that good from a customer standpoint. But if the price was the same, like if I went to a garage and I needed some work done on my vehicle and they said, oh, you're under a minimum. So I got to charge you this versus I've got to charge you this, or this is the price. Like I would have felt a lot better if they just said, this is what it's going to cost you. Versus you're under a minimum, so I've got to charge you this. So let me push back on that just a minute because I am a shop that uses the term order, minimum order a lot, but it often <clears throat> is precedent before the next statement, which is, is there anything else that you can get to, or that you would want to get to that minimum? We use it as a upselling opportunity, right? We are pricing correctly. Our formulas are pretty concrete, but... We have a $200 minimum. So if there's, if that A-frame sign is not what they're, I'm sorry, let me use another one. If that real estate sign for $80 is not hitting that minimum, then I might use that for maybe let's get two or three and let's maybe get you some business cards or some other things. Do you want it installed? I'll use that as a way to get there, right? Maybe it actually end up with a price that's over $200 in most cases because I use it as an opportunity to present value. So what do you, what would you say to the shops that are doing it that way in terms of the terminology of minimum order? That's the way I approached it at my shop too. It was, Hey, I got to charge you $200 for this, but for that $200, instead of giving you one sticker, I'm going to give you 15. And that, that usually helped put the customer's mind at ease a little bit. At least I'm getting more than one for that money. 
But I don't know. I still feel a little bit differently about it now than I did back then, just being on the other side of the equation a little bit more. And it's a tough one. I don't really know if there's a good answer to that because a lot of it's going to depend on exactly the type of sign it is. It's going to change a lot depending on what it is. But I, I guess I would ask, like, why is your two, your minimum $200? Like, where, where is that? And I'm not questioning that's a bad idea. I'm just curious how you came up with the number $200 or what justifies it to you. And then secondly, let's say your $80 real estate sign example, right? If your minimum is $200, but you can manufacture this product for $80, which one of those is the real number? I think the reason why your minimums are probably elevated or your minimum order has now been installed is because of what's going on in the industry. Our suppliers, there's supply chain issues. There are people asking more money for payroll. I've brought in a salesperson, which elevated my shop rate per hour. So when you really look at my $75, $80 an hour shop rate, and then you look at the materials and then the profit margins that you wish to make in order to be in this business, you're in that $200 threshold. That's what's going to push the needle for us in my shop. It may not be your shop for the listeners out there. I'm not advising you to take $200, but I have a six or seven person shop. And my overhead, my shop rate is, is a little about 80 bucks now. It used to be 45 when I first started. I'm in that area of, I'm in that area of having to pay a lot more money for good labor, have to pay for materials that are elevated in by the suppliers. And I'm not in this to make 10 bucks on a job. I don't know. I, that doesn't so, push the needle. So you're, you're basically, you're in a roundabout way, you're saying there's an economy of scale there in manufacturing. So it costs you a lot more to manufacture one of those real estate signs than it does to manufacture five of them because you're you're compounding the labor to make it's the same labor to make one as it is to make five. Which goes back to what I'm saying is if somebody comes in and says they want a one a single real estate sign, is eighty dollars really like the cost of that, or shouldn't that really be priced on a sliding scale based on the quantity and manufacturing efficiencies included in that? If you want one of these things being equal, this really is going to cost. It's going. To, I got to charge you two hundred dollars not because that's a minimum. It's just what it takes me to manufacture it, and so I'll make my margin on it. It, there was once a day as a sign shop owner where if a real estate agent came in and said, I needed one real estate sign for my for sale sign to put in the lawn, it would be $80. There was once a day where that was the case, but a little bit of education, a little bit of learning what it takes to be a successful business in this market. If that real estate agent came in and said, listen, I'm a new agent. I want, I need to get some signs. I'd tell them, how many listings do you have or how many listings do you want? You know, now that I'm talking to them about their business, providing the value and saying, you're going to need open house signs. You're going to need three. If you're going to have at least three listings, you're going to need at least three for sale signs. You're going to need some business cards, some listing brochures and flyers. So I'm now getting them over that minimum where Okay, yeah, there is the quantity scale or the volume scale of how much those signs should be, because I know now we're talking a little bit, I'm not talking to a customer that wants to buy for $200, talking to a customer that wants to buy maybe even $2,000 worth of signage to get their business going. And again, maybe, and that goes back right. to the very first thing that you said is, what type of customer do you want? And that's the type of customer I, I work with. I don't work with agents that come in and say, I need one open house sign. I'm telling them it's two hundred dollars, <laughs> or or and, and and or there's the door, because it's got to right. be that way. It doesn't push the needle for me in my shop to do an eighty dollar job. 
So what we're so essentially we're saying the same thing. We're just presenting it to the customer two different ways. You're just saying my minimum's two hundred bucks, and that sign is under that minimum. So you've got to buy a few to justify the cost of that. And I'm saying instead of saying it's under the minimum, I'm just saying why not present it as hey, one costs two hundred dollars, two costs a hundred dollars a piece, three costs eighty dollars a piece, and so on. And that way, there you're empowering that customer to to make the decision to spend more money versus like trying to backdoor them into spending more money. And I'm not saying that's a bad, I'm not trying to knock you when I say that, Peter, I hope you don't take offense to that. I'm just, I'm saying that's the perception from the customer sometimes, I think. And I've felt that when I've been told, Hey, that's under the minimum. Okay. But if I were given the choice of spending $200 on one or $250 on three and the price breakdown accordingly, no, I feel I, like, Hey, I made a good decision. Here. I hear what you're saying. I think the approach is just how you phrase it. I think you've been, a, that's what I'm saying. Been, you haven't been a big fan of saying my minimum order is, but if you're phrasing this in a way where one is 200, two is $100, whatever it is, and you're giving the customer the connotation of being a positive customer experience, still allowing them to make a decision, then yes, that's that consultative approach that I'm very much in love with. But Let's get back to that question here. What, if it's a big client, how are you handling the customer from a person perspective of $50 items being proposed there? There's no good answer like, for that. It's like Nike, baby. You just do it. You just do it. Depending on, you got to qualify the account. Obviously, like a large account for shop A, maybe $25,000 a year, whereas a large account for somebody else, maybe $100,000 a year or $300,000 a year. So you obviously got to qualify the account and we don't have any hard numbers here in the question of what's a large account, but if it's a good account and they spend a lot of money with me, I'm going to take care of them because that's, that's business, baby. You have to, you can't give those guys a reason to go someplace else for the cheap stuff because that place is going to try to get the rest of their work too. And if that place is willing to sell on the cheap stuff. They're probably going to undercut you in price everywhere else. So it's one of those situations where they've got you between a rock and a hard place and you sort of, you got to play ball with them a little bit. Like you said, you, you can't completely shoot yourself in the foot and lose money. I still but, have to make, yeah. Right. I still have to make money on the job. You've got to 100%. treat them, you got to treat them fairly and yourself fairly, I think. And a lot of times that means not letting them under your minimum or I, I'm, talked about this on a previous episode too, about the idea of having a, a way to fast track jobs through your shop, whether it's setting up a sign shop within a sign shop, if you're larger and you've got a, a dedicated small production department with one person that's just there for rush jobs and, or running those small types of jobs through them. If you're bigger and you can justify doing, that's a way to squeeze those jobs through for the good customers in a more efficient manner without completely losing money on the job. If you were to just, you know, have to insert that into your typical or your regular daily workflow. Not everybody can justify doing that, but if you can, it's a way to ease the pain on this and be able to service those clients better. But, but unfortunately the reality is if you want to keep those big customers happy and coming back to you, sometimes that means you've got to break your own rules and essentially do them some favors here and there. And a smart shop owner is going to figure out what their needs are going to be and try to predict that as much as possible and maybe have these things ready to go on the shelf or maybe you work out a way if they're just buying the same things over and over again, but they just need them on a as needed basis, maybe, maybe you inventory them for them and just pull them off a shelf. And that way you can take advantage of that quantity, volume, manufacturing efficiency. I like that. It goes back to Peter's consultative approach. Hey, why are they buying these two to three small T signs? Is it like, are they doing that regularly or, or yeah, maybe you could 
like you said, sell them more, warehouse them for them, mm -hmm. provide some value somewhere else. So they, like they come in, they're on the shelf. Or even yeah. if it's a different phone number every time, maybe it's just a, you have the blanks pre-cut and pre-painted for them, ready to go. And that, that's a good, that's made. a good strategy. If this is something that they're ordering a lot of, you might want to prepare some inventory to make it easier to produce. That's interesting. I have a small take on this, just a small take. I agree with everything Brian said. You just got to go ahead and do it. You signed up that account and there, in my eyes, there is a difference between a customer and an account. I don't know how you guys feel about this, but in my shop, whenever I've trained some sign shop owners, they've always talked about getting the customer and nurturing them to become an account. The sign shop owners that make 10, 12, $15 million out there work their accounts and all, and get 80% of their business from their current accounts that they are working with. So nurturing people from a customer to an account is, is part of that strategy. Now, what is the difference and what are the benefits of either? When somebody becomes an account, maybe your, it's your shop policy to install no minimums because they are an account. This is a value add to become an account with your customer, with your, uh, with your business. If you're treating your, if this was phrased as a, how do I handle those everyday large customers? I would say first you have to turn those customers into accounts and then nurture them. But if you're handling, if you're, there are no minimums with accounts, whatever they want is what you're going to give them because they are an account. Now, some shirt, some shops will still have their order minimums and those accounts will know those minimums. But for those, for us everyday shops that are small, medium size, if you want to take a customer and turn them into an account where they're going to order from you all the time and you're going to enforce volume discounts and maybe some e-commerce way of buying products from you for ease of customer experience, take the minimums out. That's my advice. Take the minimums out because that's a value add to become an account working with your shop. I'm going to go on record here and say that I don't like the term large account. I like good account or great account instead of large because... To me, and especially at this stage of my career, I want to work with people that I trust, I like doing business with. So I would qualify that as a good account. If it's a good account, that means there's mutual trust and respect. And these guys aren't going to be taking advantage of you all the time. If they are, that could be a bad account. If they're constantly hounding me for, hey, let's say they spend $25,000 a year with me, but... Every week I've got rush jobs and there are these tiny little PVC signs that we're talking about. To me, that's a, not a great account because there's not that mutual respect there. I want to work with people that are good accounts that mm -hmm. like, Hey, good point. shit happens. Like the customers are going to no different than in a, in our shop, the customers are going to have some shit come up and they need somebody to help them out. And that's why we're here. So. If it's a good relationship, there's naturally some give and take there. Good point. Good point. Good point. Very good point. I like that a lot. All right. Let's go to our second question here. That's a great, that was a great first topic or good question. I enjoyed that one. I hope our listeners did here too. How much should you be paying yourself as the owner of a sign shop? Bam, right in your face, hits you with the most a frequently asked question that I get with all my sign shop clients is well, how much should I be paying myself if I'm a first time sign shop owner, if I'm a, if I've been in this business for five years, am I paying myself enough? I love this question. I think 
it's on the <laughs> mind of any sign shop owner. I see Brian's raising his hand. Brian, what would you like to say here first? One million dollars. <laughs> you should be paying yourself what, Brian? One million dollars. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that, but maybe if you had like a larger operation, you could be doing that. But no, how do, how do we tackle this here, Mike? How do we go about factoring in how much somebody should be paying themselves? Where do we even start with that question? It's... That is the million dollar question. The advice that I'm, I have been given time and time again is to pay yourself a reasonable small salary, whatever that may be, something that's in line with upper management at your business, whatever that looks like to your business, and then take owner draws periodically. But I don't think you should go into trying to pay yourself some humongous and exorbitant paycheck because they're, you're just you're paying too much in taxes. So yeah, small base salary plus draws as needed out of the profit. Now, obviously, a lot of that's going to depend on what how much money your business makes and how healthy it is financially. And that's only, only, you know, that, but it should be at the end of the day or at the end of the year, it should be more than you would make working for somebody else. That's for sure. So I'll say that but there's a lot of perks owning a business that, that become de facto pay. I used to barter and trade everything that I could. That's a great way to save tax money. Still get a lot of stuff that you'd otherwise pay cash for. And that becomes income as well. But I don't know beyond that. All right, Brian, I'll come to you. So first and foremost, it definitely depends on the stage that you're at, right? If you're a one-man operation, you're doing $100,000 in sales, that's totally different than if you've got $2 million in revenue and you've got 20 people working for you. So it's very difficult for us to say, hey, the number is 50000 or 75000 as a salary or 100000 or 200000 it's not going to be possible for us to throw out a number that's going to work here. But I am in favor of what Mike says, that you, you got to pay yourself a reasonable salary. Uh, and all too often I talk to owners and they forget this, that, and especially if you're not just an owner, if you're involved in the day-to-day -day operations, you've got to pay, pay yourself a salary there. But as an owner, you should be able to make profit on that as that's well. That's the answer I was looking for. Yes. I 100% agree with that. While we can't tell you how much you should be paying, you have to factor in the first question. Are you a key employee for your operation? If you're, if you do all the design work for your business, because you might be a graphic designer, if you do all the installs for your wraps, because you were certified as your wrap shops, wrap installer, if you do all the installs for your sign shop, because you enjoy being in the bucket and installing those big exterior signs. You have to consider yourself a paid employee for those tasks. You have to, you can't do that work for free and just live off the profits of your business. You have to pay yourself a salary for the, what that role is. That could be, a, you can reduce your salary if you'd like to be, to make a little bit more on the profit side, but you have to be, it has to be fair and just is the words that I would use in terms of that. Now, if you are an owner and that's all you do is own the business and you layered in a general manager to run the operations, that's a different conversation because as an owner, you can make just the profits, the returns on the business each year and consider the owner discretionary, the owner discretionary expenses of the benefits of being a business owner. And I think Mike was alluding to some of that with the bartering and things of that nature, but you can 
expense almost anything you want for personal expenses through the business, your gas being one of them. Your, if your car payment, if you use your car for your business, you can expense that as well. All of those pieces are the owner benefits to, to your business. And I think that's something to be going into this as well, is that you could take into all the benefits of business ownership when accounting for what that salary should be coming in. If you're a, if you're a passive owner, semi-passive like myself, I don't take a salary in my shop. I don't because I live, I'm happy just making the return on the investment, the return, the net profits and distributing that between me and my business partner. I don't find it to be anything more because I'm not a key employee. I'm not sitting in the shop every day. I'm not in the shop doing installs or design work every day, putting in 50, 40 hours a week any longer. That was what I was doing before. So if you're like me, if you're a sign shop owner, like myself, <laughs> listening to this, I'm, that might be your answer. But if you are a qualified employee doing anything in the shop that makes your shop run, you have to consider yourself an employee as well and pay yourself a fair and just wage for that role. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, when you go to sell or exit the business, you just shoot yourself in the foot because if you try to sell to somebody who's going to be a passive owner or, or a semi-passive owner, as you mentioned, they've got to find somebody to replace you, presumably, unless you're going to continue to work in the business. Yeah. So and th 100%. think about that. How many shop owners do we talk to every week that are in very infused in their operation? If you took them out, their business doesn't exist. So you have to be paying yourself because if you ever wanted to talk about an exit strategy, selling your business or selling it to your partner or whatever the case is, when you look at your profit and loss, if there's a zero next to your labor, I, one of my first questions is how much are you paying? How much are you getting? And if that number is not reflected, well, then your business numbers are a little skewed and that might make it a little bit more of a challenge to, to exit your business. So you definitely want to include what you're paying yourself on your books as well. That's just a little helpful tip, a little factoid there as part of that second question. I'm going to give the... I'm going to give the end all be all on this one. Okay, go ahead. Um, get an expert accountant and potentially a financial advisor and work with them to go over your numbers and figure yeah, this I out. I hundred percent agree with that. Do not try to figure this out for yourself. If you, you own a business, act like it, <laughs> hire a financial planner. You just, you need to do that. You, any business owner who's making more than minimum wage working in their business. They've got assets that they need to protect and take care of, and they've got tax burdens that they yeah. need to minimize. And you can't do that on your own. I don't care how smart you think you are. You're not a, you're not a financial expert, sign guys. So don't try to be one. Hire a financial planner, hire a good CPA, and pay them well to do what they do because they're going to make you money. And they're going to make sure you don't get audited. We're going to get flamed on the... Facebook groups now because you said you can't be a financial <laughs> expert and a subject. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure we'll get somebody who disagrees <laughs> with that, but good, good luck. Yeah. All right. I'm going to do the intro on this next question. This is from one of the Facebook groups, the sign shop talk or sign industry groups. How can I get new leads for my sign company? I feel like this is a huge one. We could probably do a whole episode on this one. The second question is what has worked well for you all? So this is one of those ones that just 
man, people throw this out there and you see like people just blasting the shotgun approach on this one. So I'm curious to hear your guys' take. Hey man, I got to tell you, these, these three questions, these are amazing questions. I think that they are very heavily talked about, discussed topics in this industry. So we recently did an episode about marketing and we talked a little bit about how do you get your leads and things like that. So we definitely encourage you to watch that episode on our marketing efforts. But what's worked well for me being that I'm a sign shop owner and these other guys are not. One of those really interesting things is that I really enjoy creating a strategy around the product that I want to sell. So that includes like landing pages, press releases, articles, testimonials from customers where we'll talk, like if I wanted to do something on, I don't know, let's just call it, let's see, let me th think of one I've done recently, sign service. Okay. Sign service. You're fixing broken signs. Okay. That is a profitable service for my business. I got a couple of bucket trucks. I got a couple of technicians. I need to fix the signs that are looking decrepit in my local market. You like that word? Decrepit. I like that word. Anyway, so I created a whole strategy around this particular case. So to attract new business. So that included Facebook ads, directing them to my landing page for them to fill out a form to upload the picture of their sign for instant quotes, pay-per-click ads, also competition ads as well. Like I'd like to piggyback off the keywords of what my competitors are doing in this space. But it's all directing them into the funnel for which uh, new leads are coming in for people that are saying, hey, my sign's broken and I need to get it fixed. And how much is it to get fixed? That's the question that you have to answer on those landing pages. But I'm directing now an influx of new customers based off of sign service. So I'm showing pictures of like really funny looking signs when letters are out. I'm, I'll post up a couple in the Facebook group here so you can see a couple of funny ones that really make those <laughs> ads engaging. But that's been working for me to get new leads in the company. And you could do that with almost any service. If you want to, if you want to specialize in real estate signs, make real estate landing pages. If you want to specialize in color conversions on cars or paint correction or paint protection, whatever it is that you want to do, you can do those as well. Channel letters, mint signs, wayfinding signage. You could do all sorts of really creative ad strategies based around directing that to specific built out landing pages and a nice funnel into your system. At least that's my advice on what worked well for me lately. The key for me and what you said there, Peter, is you narrowed down your focus on sign service in this instance. Too many people don't qualify that. Hey, I just want to grow my shop. I want more customers. And my first question is always, what kind of customers do you want? And they're like, the kind that pay, the kind <laughs> that have money. I value money. That was one of the responses the other day on their Facebook group was, I value money. It's like, well, me too. And I want more customers. But when you narrow that focus down, it becomes way easier to give you something actionable. So just like you said, hey, I want to promote sign service. We haven't done enough of that. Or, hey, that's an actual really profitable for us because we make connections with other customers that, that may have not purchased the sign from us before. So... Once you narrow down that focus, it becomes really a, a lot easier. So you could do that based on the service that you're trying to pitch or sell, like service or channel letters or exterior signs or mm -hmm. vehicle wraps, whatever that is. You could also do that based on customers as well. Okay, I want to work with 
commercial real estate agents, or I want to work with developers that are building condos. I wanted to work with marketing managers and larger corporations. And once you do that, getting those, those leads that you want, that's the first step. It becomes a lot easier when you know what it is you're trying to sell or who you're trying to sell it to, because then you can do some more research, find out where those marketing managers hang out, what they do, how they how do they go about purchasing signs? What is that purchasing process like for that particular type of customer? And it, that really informs your marketing efforts. So the, then you could go after that group of people specifically, like either in Facebook ads, as you mentioned, cold emailing some of those people mm -hmm. with just like a quick little email about, hey, here's what we could help you guys with. Here's some other company that we helped with. So, yeah, I think that's the first step in in this process is narrow your focus on what clients you want to serve or, or what you're actually, what type of leads you're yeah, That's to really good advice, Brian. Yeah. Let me ask you this, Brian, since you're like the marketing guru out of the three of us, I consider you more of a marketing expert <laughs> than myself. Maybe I don't know how Mike feels, but I want to make sure I give you the accolades there. Tell my wife that I'm a guru. I feel like she would be very proud oh, yeah? that she's married to a guru. <laughs> Let me ask you this, because I get the sense that we have a ton of sign shop owners, both small and large, that are doing pay-per-click ad, Google ads, and bunching up all their services into one ad. Like, we're a sign shop for signs. We do interior, exterior, trade show, real estate. We do car wraps, vehicle wraps, awnings, channel letters, monuments, and everything else in between. How, do you think that strategy works? I, I think on some levels it probably does, or people wouldn't do it. <laughs> yeah, something is better. Something is better than nothing. I'll start with that. I think if you're, if you haven't, if you're not running any ads, as we talked about in one of the first episodes that we did, you got to keep the faucet running. If you're not running ads now and you start running ads, that's better than not running ads, uh, assuming you've got the budget for it. But I certainly think there's better approaches where, like, we just, talked about that you, you should be just blanketing, Hey, we're the most amazing sign shop. Hey, we do everything. I'm of the mindset that when you, this might've been a quote from maybe Seth Godin or something like that. And maybe I'm still in this from Mike, I'm not sure, but like when you speak to everyone, you're talking to no one. That's the, that's like the, my take on marketing in a nutshell is if you're saying everybody is our customer, you're going to have a really hard time versus the shop that has narrowed down and said, okay, we serve developers. We make the process of selling your condo or your apartment building twice as easy as the next guy. And that's huge. And then certainly you could run ads on that. You could do specific targeting on Facebook. It's really good for that type of targeting. If you are doing Google ads, you could set up those ads around those keywords. It goes back to what your customer is actually searching for, but yeah, I think that's the way to approach it instead of just shotgun blasting random ads for, we do everything. And let's not forget okay. too, like the value of just like human face-to-face -face networking as well, which I think is ignored a lot with the rise of internet marketing and click per pay or pay-per-click ads and everything like that. But oh. you just, you go interface with people that are or your market. I, and I know I'm, I have mixed emotions about most networking groups, like BNI type groups and stuff like that, where you've got a, 
15 people sitting around a table in the morning and one of them's a dentist and one of them is a realtor and one of them, you, they're going to generate some leads for you, but they're not going to be very targeted leads. And like Brian said, you're putting yourself in those groups and telling them that you're everything to everybody all the time, which really just makes you nothing and nobody. But there are much more targeted ways to network with people that you can really get in the door with the industries and clients that you want to serve. If you do a lot of, say, hospital signage and ADA sign packages for large commercial buildings or office buildings, things like that, like there are there are groups specifically for building owners and property managers and building managers and things like that. And if you cultivate relationships and groups like that, you, that becomes a really great referral network for you for the type of work that you want to do. It, it takes a long time, though. I think that's the problem with a lot of that face-to-face type networking is it's there's not a not an immediate return on it because you're building a relationship with somebody you need to prove to these people that they can trust you and that you can live up to their expectations and when you've proven yourself then they become an amazing source of leads they become a lead generator for you they're a happy client is a better salesperson than your own salesperson 100 percent of the time approaching your clients like that and your networking efforts like that i think really goes a long way towards creating a built-in lead generator without having to do a whole lot of work Outside of be present. Oh, sorry. Missed what you, you said. You look like a deer in headlights. Oh, yeah. My wife came in. She heard that we called you a guru and was like, who are these <laughs> idiots? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I mean, something else that Mike said there is really key as well. Is there, whether you're running ads or doing face-to-face networking, making cold calls, cold emails, whatever, uh, there are no shortcuts to doing, to being successful at generating new leads. There's some things have a, a quicker return than others, but to do it well and be successful with it, it takes time. Don't go into any of these strategies thinking you're going to turn around and get a hundred leads by spending a hundred dollars on Facebook ads or, or that you're going to go to one networking event and come away with a hundred thousand dollars in business. It's just not how it works. Yeah. You got to keep at it. You have to keep pushing. It's got to be part of your everyday routine. It's got to be part of your monthly strategy, Bus- hiring a business development manager is another opportunity that's worked really well for us. It's somebody that's being the face of your business and going out and introducing some, introducing yourself to some companies and things of that nature. One thing that's actually really well done well with us with that service angle is that it really does get you in front of business owners with a, in a warm lead kind of way like their sign is broken they know it is and we're there we're coming there to help them fix it and then that often leads to conversations about new signage or valuing the repair versus getting something new and also the other services that we can then sell this customer so if you're not doing service i find it to be very lucrative if that's something that also you guys want to jump into there This was a, I don't want to jump into sign service. I, I don't want to jump into, I didn't want to jump into it either until I found out how profitable it was. Yeah. And one tactic that I've got for that, and I, maybe I've said this on one of the other episodes, I'm not sure where I picked this up, but if you want to do service and you're looking for more leads, find somebody's kid that's 16 that just got a license, offer to pay them X amount per lead that they generate, they drive around. Go find signs that are broken, take a picture of it, note the address, try to get contact info, set them up like a simple job form or something like that. Yeah, we call those people night watchers. 
and and we pay them and we pay them a dollar a photo a dollar a a, a dollar a photo a dollar of submission they can if they go around often enough believe it or not the people that are also doing night watch for me are also uber drivers like uber each drivers or uber drivers oh, and things yeah, like that yeah there you go so we, some of them, I pay them $2 if they're not doing them as frequently, but if they dro drove five miles, they might find 20 signs that are broken and get paid $20 or $40. Really great little uh, side hustle that we've created with our Nightwatch team. And yes, they're often very young, new drivers, just looking to make a good, whatever, however many they submit is how much they make. Then we call them in the morning, we schedule appointments and we're out doing service the next day. Little great tip there. Love it. Love it. I, I like this format, guys. I think it was a great episode. Great questions. Yeah, me too. For the Keep word. those questions coming. If you have questions for us, you'd like them to be answered on the podcast by a guru. Everybody wants to be a guru. Honestly, don't call me a guru. <laughs> I don't, I take that back. You could tell my wife I'm a guru though. That looks good for me. Uh, but uh, if you've got questions you'd like the three of us to answer on the podcast, Email us at hey at bettersignshop.com. Again, that's hey at bettersignshop.com. Shall we get into rapid fire takeaways? There's three questions. There's three of us. We'll take one of us for each takeaway for each question. Okay. How's that sound? <laughs> Mayor McCheese. Minimums. minimums. Think about how you present your minimums to your customer and consider just charging what you should for a sign instead of telling a customer you've got to charge them a minimum and see if it presents an opportunity to make a happy customer and sell more signs. All right. All right you get How much should you be paying yourself as the owner of a sign shop? Peter. One million dollars. That's why I chose you, not Brian. <laughs> no, no, no. And you did it I anyway. Had, I had to do it. I had to throw it in there. Give him my, give him my, give him my impression. How much you be charging yourself? Listen, you guys got to look at what you're doing in your jobs and make a just and fair assessment of what that is valued at as your business. Take into account some of the other pieces, how much you're able to expense, and some of the other benefits of being an owner. Like Mike said. Consider the draw, a low salary, a draw each week as a really great opportunity there. But also, like we all said here, consult with a CPA, a financial advisor, financial planner on help having you help or helping you make the, those final decisions there. Bryant, the marketing I guy. So. I didn't call you a guru, the marketing, the marketing guy. guy. I appreciate that. No. How can I get new leads for my signed company? Narrow down your focus. Narrow down your focus. Pick the customers you want to serve. That will inform how you go about getting those new leads. It's as simple as that. Very good. If you like the podcast, definitely check out our mastermind group. You can find that on the website, bettersignshop.com. Poke around, you'll find it. We've also got a Facebook group for shop owners. It's exclusively for shop owners. We've got to answer some questions before we let you in. We do AMAs there with experts. We've got a group chat with all the owners there. There are no topics that are off limits. Pricing is allowed. And there's some other deep discussions that we go into that obviously I cannot talk about <laughs> here. It's all top secret stuff. Check us out. 
you liked this episode, make sure you hit subscribe to get all the latest episodes. And check out our website, bettersignshop.com. Get free resources and helpful tools on growing your shop. Thanks for listening.